As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Mel Science. It's a subscription service that offers the most amazing monthly science boxes. These monthly science boxes combine hands-on experiments with VR and AR technology to engage kids in studying science. They offer monthly science boxes for kids aged 5 to 9 plus, physics boxes for ages 8 to 14 plus, and chemistry boxes for ages 10 to 16 plus. Mel Science strives to make science accessible for everybody and make it fun as well. Science is about exploration, experiments and discovery and with Mel Science, they help to nurture children's natural interest with hands-on experiments delivered right to your front door. Just head on over to melscience.com and use the code MORBIDOLOGY to get 60% off any of the subscriptions. This code is only valid for one month, so head on over to melscience.com. That is M-E-L science.com and use the code MORBIDOLOGY for 60% off. Let's be real. I think that we could all up our fruit and veggie game. Sometimes it can be hard to get all of our fruit and vegetables into our diet. It can be bland and boring, but that's where Daily Harvest comes in. Daily Harvest is the easiest way to get fruit and vegetables into my day each and every day. They have the most amazing and delicious foods that are good for me and good for the planet. From harvest bowls and flatbreads to smoothies and ice cream, Everything is built on organic fruit and vegetables and comes straight to your door. My favourite has got to be the cauliflower rice and pesto harvest bowl and the kale and sweet potato flatbread. They're all super simple to make and can be stored in the freezer. 
Daily Harvest makes it easy to feel good about what I'm doing for myself and the planet. Go to dailyharvest.com slash morbidology to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash morbidology for $40 off your first box. dailyharvest.com slash morbidology. Welcome to Morbidology. I'm your host, Emily G. Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders, Cults Uncovered, Mysteries Uncovered, and co-author of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Cases Uncovered. Join Morbidology on Patreon for exclusive episodes of Morbidology Plus, exclusive merch, ad-free and early release episodes, and much more. Abington Township is a safe, close-knit community located in the first-ring suburb of Pennsylvania in the United States. There's around 55,000 residents mostly drawn to the area due to its accessibility, affordability and diversity. In 2016, a teenage girl was reported missing in Abington Township. The investigation would be hampered by her adoptive mother's reluctance to assist investigators. This only begged the question... Did she know more than she was letting on? Grace Packer was born premature on the 14th of August 2001. She weighed a minuscule four pounds and it was expected that she wouldn't survive more than 24 hours. Beating the odds, however, Grace was able to go home with her parents Rose and Rodney Hunsicker. Just a couple of days later, Grace had a particularly tough start in life. In 2004, her biological parents had their parental rights stripped from them after allegations were made that other adults in the home had been abusing other children in the home. Authorities believed that Rose and Rodney could not provide a safe home for Grace and her siblings, also in part because of Rose's mental health issues and Rodney's intellectual disabilities. Rose had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and anxiety, and sometimes she failed to take her medication. Rose recollected, When they said it was time to say goodbye, I said, I'm not saying goodbye to my children. I can't say goodbye, because goodbye means forever. I still remember my exact words. Mommy will always love you. Mommy will never forget you. Grace and her two siblings were placed into foster care. Then when Grace was three years old, she and her younger brother were fostered by Sarah and David Parker. Two years later, they were adopted by the couple while their third sibling was adopted by another family, breaking them apart. Grace had a learning disability and those who knew her said that she was exceptionally sweet and a kind young girl. She had a massive heart for those with intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. She had been a student at Abington Junior High where she was known as a caring and good friend to her fellow students. She looked out for the lonely children at school, making sure to befriend them. 
There was Jackie Horster's son, a young boy who had autism, and Grace always sat with him at lunch. As Jackie said, she showed patience for him and kindness towards him. And he always thought that she was really pretty and so nice. She didn't really mind some of his quirks. Grace's friend, Kelsey Bakshi, said, She was always caring, and when she saw me feeling upset or when she saw me in tears, she always gave me a hug. As mentioned, Grace had a learning disability and she suffered from a speech impediment. But she didn't let these things consume her life, and she honestly did thrive and she made friends with ease. Sarah had experience in the foster and adoption services. Between 1999 and 2002, she worked for Impact Project, which provides for youths placed in foster care through the juvenile probation or children and youth offices. After this, she worked for the Northampton County Children and Youth Family Division. So on paper, it certainly seemed like the perfect match. But unfortunately, that wouldn't be the case. Sarah had worked as a supervisor for adoptions from 2002 until 2010, when she was suspended without pay over allegations of misconduct. This suspension had come just the day after her husband, Grace's adoptive father, David, was accused of sexually assaulting Grace between the years of 2006 and 2010. Two months later, David was charged with more sex crimes when another foster child of the couple, who was now 18 years old, came forward to state that he had sexually assaulted her when she was 15 years old. This foster child had learning disabilities, and she said that Sarah was well aware of the sexual abuse, yet she did nothing to stop it. The sexual abuse of the other foster daughter had been uncovered when another foster daughter of the Packers, Crystal Rodak, found photographs and videos of David sexually abusing the foster daughter. Crystal contacted her juvenile probation officer, who in turn contacted the police who began an 18-month investigation. The following year, David pleaded guilty in both cases and he was sentenced to between six months to three years in one case and one year to five years in the other. In 2016, David was paroled and was required to register as a sexually violent predator under Megan's law. Following his release, he filed for divorce against Sarah, and he was granted a no-fault divorce. At the time, Sarah had a new boyfriend, Jacob Sullivan, and Grace was now 14 years old. Grace was living with Sarah and Jacob and her 12-year-old brother in the 800 block of Tennis Avenue, Abington Township, Pennsylvania. On the 11th of July 2016, Sarah filed a missing person report with the Abington Township Police Department. She said that Grace had vanished from her bedroom two days earlier and that she had stolen $300 before leaving. According to Sarah, she had sent Grace to her bedroom after an argument over Grace's request to go to a friend's house. She claimed that she hadn't initially reported Grace missing because she had run away for days at a time beforehand. She described her daughter as overly stubborn, stating that she had behavioural disorders that manifested themselves when she didn't get her own way. Grace was described as standing at 5 foot 4 inches tall with brown hair. She weighed around 185 pounds. Police would ask the public to keep an eye out for Grace and if they knew anything about her whereabouts to get in contact. Then on Halloween, a father and son were driving along a winding road in Bear Creek Township in Luzerne County. They were there to go hunting and they pulled up in a gravel turnout beside a hunting trail. Here. Their dog picked up a scent and went balding towards brush on a hill just around 10 yards away. 
the two men went to investigate what the dog had found. To their horror, it was a head and a torso. The two men immediately called 911 and investigators embarked on the scene. They cordoned off the area, removed the head and torso and continued their search for more body parts. The following day, they found two arms and two legs with the assistance of canine sniffer dogs. The remains were transported to the medical examiner's office for a cause of death to be determined, as well as for an identification to be made. The remains were in such bad condition that it could be determined by sight that the victim was that of a white girl. Other than that, they were completely unidentifiable. At first, investigators had actually thought that the body had been that of an elderly woman. They had seen grey hair. Further inspection, however, showed that drain cleaner had been poured over the victim's face to obscure her features, and the chemicals had stripped the colour from her hair. Around the same time that the body was discovered, Sarah was arrested and charged with endangering the welfare of a child and obstructing administration of law. But while these charges were filed, there was no explanation as to why. With time, however, these explanations would come. On the 21st of December, the district attorneys of Bucks, Montgomery and Luzerne County announced that they were going to be holding a joint press conference later that day to disclose some important developments in the search for Grace. They would announce that the dismembered body found on Halloween had been identified as Grace by dental records. The missing person investigation swiftly transformed into a murder investigation. The pathologist who had conducted Grace's autopsy would state that due to no insect infestation, Grace had been killed elsewhere and then her body had been stored for a period of time before being dumped. The wounds on Grace's dismembered body also showed that a saw had most likely been used to dismember her. The three district attorneys would publicly announce that they were at a loss as to who had killed Grace and once again asked the public for their assistance, with Montgomery County District Attorney Kevin Steele announcing we're here because we're at a point where we need the public's help. The Packer family had no connection to Luzerne County or surrounding counties, but they encouraged the public to look at her photograph in the hopes that it would refresh someone's mind. However, they then announced that they were looking at Grace's own mother, Sarah, as a person of interest in the case. She had already been charged with child endangerment and obstructing administration of law. It would be disclosed that when Sarah had reported her daughter missing, she first of all took two days to report her missing. And even more suspicious, she refused to provide a photograph of Grace to investigators until two months later. She failed to pick up any phone calls from investigators between the 8th of August and the 7th of September. Bucks County District Attorney Matthew Weintraub said, Sarah Packer failed to give accurate information to the police and otherwise impeded the investigation into her own daughter's missing person status, her disappearance. Then after reporting Grace missing, Sarah moved to Quakertown, Bucks County, with her 12-year-old son. Here, she enrolled him into the Quakertown School District, but she failed to enroll Grace. That in itself was extremely suspicious. It seems unlikely that a concerned parent would move elsewhere while their daughter was still missing. Also, when she moved, she didn't inform investigators that she had moved. She simply slipped off their radar. Moreover, Sarah had claimed that she and Grace had argued over Grace's request to go to a friend's house. Sarah had refused to tell investigators the name of this friend or an address 
but investigators would identify the friend and would go to her home and speak with her and her mother. The mother and daughter said that there had been no arrangements for Grace to come over to their house. During the search for Grace, investigators had obtained a typed letter. It was addressed to Grace's family. It was reported to be from Grace, and it read that she was sorry for being a burden and for leaving the family. The letter closed with, Sincerely, Grace. Investigators would analyse the letter and determine that the language used was not consistent with language that Grace would use, nor was it consistent with her academic and social skill level. Investigators would also speak with other members of the Packer family, including Grace's father, all of whom said that they had last seen Grace alive at a family picnic on the 4th of July. They said that they had no idea that Grace was missing until recently. Now, Sarah had told investigators that the entire family knew that Grace was missing from the moment she went missing. This was another blatant lie on Sarah's part. When investigators finally tracked Sarah down, Abington Police Detective Cindy Patinato told Sarah that she needed Grace's medical records and other information. She informed her that she wanted to enter Grace into a national database in case Grace was discovered deceased without any identification. Sarah responded, Oh, okay. I was going to call you tomorrow to see if you had heard anything. Sarah certainly didn't elicit the emotions that one would expect of a parent of a missing child. It was noted as well that she never made any statements on her Facebook account about Grace being missing. Instead, she posted about minor incidents, such as suffering from a migraine headache or not getting enough sleep. Further investigation would show some ominous purchases on Sarah's credit card, including 56 over-the-counter pain medications. It would also be discovered that between the 1st of July and the 10th of November, Sarah had spent more than $3,600 in social security disability funds that were intended for Grace. Each month, Grace received $700 in social security checks. And in August, while Grace was still missing, Sarah had updated the disability forms without even mentioning that Grace was missing. With Sarah behind bars, investigators asked the public to please get in contact with them if they had seen Grace or Sarah, either individually or together in public places, regardless of how insignificant they believed their information was. Bucks County District Attorney Matthew Weintraub said, Let us be the judge of whether that information is significant or insignificant. We need the public's help today. Just the day after it was announced that Sarah had been arrested and the body identified as Grace, Sarah's bail was reduced to $10,000 and she was released from jail. It would be revealed that the $1,000 needed for Sarah's release had been posted by her boyfriend, Jacob Sullivan. The new year would pass with no new developments in the case, at least publicly. However, behind the scenes, things were moving quickly. On the 6th of July, it was announced that somebody had been arrested for the murder of Grace. It was Sarah's boyfriend, Jacob. He had been taken to Abington Hospital Jefferson Health after he had taken a drug overdose. Inside his home, investigators had found a handwritten suicide note, which was addressed to his babies. In the note, he wrote that the lying police and the media had made it impossible for them all to live. He wrote, I know you will always know that we had nothing to do with this no matter what lies they tell. Be brave, stand tall and do your best to be stronger than I was. Peculiarly, just a couple of hours later, Sarah was also taken to hospital 
after a drug overdose. A woman who had lived with the couple found them both unconscious after ingesting a fatal amount of prescription medication. After being in the hospital for a couple of days, Jacob told several hospital workers that he needed to make a confession. He then admitted that he was the one who had killed Grace. He then made another full and detailed confession to investigators over the course of 18 hours. The following details are extremely disturbing and detail the sexual abuse and murder of a child. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Grace's murder had been part of a rape-murder fantasy that Sarah and Jacob had shared. They had been planning on raping and murdering Grace since fall of 2015. At the time, Grace had been staying with a relative in North Carolina, and she had spent several happy months here. She had essentially been shipped off to the relative's house, and the relative took Grace under her wing. She enrolled Grace into school, and she became an integral part of the family. She was being cared for by Katie Heiserer, who was the cousin of David. Things didn't work out, and Grace had to return to Sarah. The initial plan was to kill Grace straight after she returned to Philadelphia. On the morning of the 8th of July, Sarah and Jacob drove Grace from their home in Abington to the home in Quakertown. Grace was still in her pyjamas and sleepy, completely oblivious as to what the sadistic couple had planned. After they entered the home, Jacob hit Grace several times in the face, splitting her lip. They then forced Grace up the stairs to the third floor of the home. Here, Grace was raped by Jacob, who had taken Viagra in preparation as Sarah watched. Afterwards, Sarah left the home to go and buy some Tylenol PM and some Diphenhydramine to sedate Grace. She and Jacob told Grace that the medication would help the pain she was feeling from the assaults. Grace threw up the initial dose of drugs that the couple gave her and they then forced more down her throat, before bounding and gagging her and leaving her alone in a cedar closet in the sweltering hot attic to die. The couple then left and returned to the other home in Montgomery County. In the early morning hours, Jacob and Sarah returned to the home, expecting to find Grace dead in the closet. Grace, however, was not dead, despite the fact she had ingested a lethal amount of drugs and had been left gagged and hogtied in a confined space in the hot attic. Grace was still alive, and she was still conscious. She had managed to escape some of her bindings and spit the gag out, but she had been unable to escape. Jacob responded by strangling Grace to death. He placed his arm around her neck and squeezed as tightly as possible. He chillingly told investigators that it took him much longer to squeeze the life out of Grace than he had anticipated. Grace was assaulted and killed over the course of 18 hours. He and Sarah then packed Grace's body in kitty litter and mothballs to try and conceal the stench of decomposition and left her in the closet in the attic, where she remained until mid-October. The couple were spooked by a visit from investigators, so they decided they need to dispose of Grace's body. They dismembered her in the bathtub with the saw that Sarah had purchased. Investigators had found a receipt from the 16th of October for a bow saw and two extra blades, and CCTV footage from inside a tractor supply store in Richland Township had captured Sarah purchasing the items. After dismembering Grace, Jacob and Sarah placed the body parts into two plastic bags. They then put these plastic bags into the trunk of Jacob's car and began to drive north. They didn't have a specific disposal site in mind, but they travelled along the back roads so as to avoid detection, and then they dumped Grace's body in Bear Creek Township, 
in an area that they thought was removed enough. Then in December, after Grace's body was identified, and after Sarah was named as a suspect, Jacob and Sarah had entered into a suicide pact. They attempted to take their own lives by overdosing on prescription medication. They had been found by Catherine Albright, who had been in a polyamorous relationship with the both of them. She denied any knowledge of the suicide pact and denied any knowledge of the murder of Grace. Both were sent to Abington Memorial Hospital, which was where Jacob made the confession to the murder. He additionally admitted to investigators that he had sexually assaulted Grace twice in the days leading up to her murder. He had described himself as a closeted rapist and prepared himself by watching violent rape fantasy porn. Today, one of our sponsors is another podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, another podcast, but this one is genuinely amazing. In 2018, Jordan's show was named one of the best by Apple, and it aims to make you more informed and get a true sense of how the world really works. Each episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show involves a conversation with a different and fascinating guest. And seriously, there's something for everybody. For example, one episode featured a hostage negotiator for the FBI, and he gave some insightful techniques. There's another episode with a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. My personal favourite episodes have been episode 630, which was about a law which means victims of sexual abuse cannot get psychological help without reporting it first, and episode 624, which is about a girl moving abroad to be with a man she met online, but her father fears he is a fraudster. The episodes are genuinely fascinating and super compelling, and you'll be hard-pressed to find an episode that you're not interested in. You can't go wrong with adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting, and there's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That is H-A-R-B, as in boy, I-N, as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. One of my New Year's resolutions was to spend less time in front of screens. That's why I'm super stoked to have Hunt a Killer. Whether it's date night or game night, Hunt a Killer has you covered. Hunt a Killer brings people together by challenging them to sift through documents, evidence, audio recordings and case files. You eliminate the suspects, identify murder weapons and then crack the case and catch the killer. It's just like an escape room but delivered to your front door and played in the comfort of your own home. You don't need to subscribe to Hunt a Killer either. There's one-off mysteries and collections of seasons that need solving. Hunt a Killer is the perfect game for you true crime aficionados, and I love sitting down after spending the day writing to try and crack the case. It's super engaging and really high quality, and will keep you entertained for hours, with your friends, your family, or your significant other. Right now, you can go to huntakiller.com morbidology and use the code morbidology for $10 off your order. Again, make sure to use the code MORBIDOLOGY for $10 discount. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Jacob was arrested and appeared in court to be arraigned on 19 charges, including criminal homicide, rape, kidnapping, abuse of a corpse, and and other similar charges. As he shuffled into district court in Newtown Borough, he mumbled, I'm sorry for what I did. In court, Bucks County District Attorney Matthew Weintraub reiterated details of the murder, stating, The hours and days leading up to our murder were probably the most horrible and traumatic that any person should ever have to experience. You could not write a horror movie with a worse script than that what was done to Grace Packer. District Judge Michael Petrucci ordered that Jacob be remanded to the Bucks County Correctional Facility and ordered him to be held without bail. Sarah would also be charged in connection with Grace's murder. Speaking about the missing person report that Sarah had filed, District Attorney Weintraub said, That was all a lie. She was already murdered. Sarah would also be arrested after she was implicated in the grim murder of her own daughter by Jacob. She had already been charged in connection, but she had been freed on bail. Sarah was facing 17 charges, including homicide, kidnapping, abuse of a corpse, conspiracy and other offences. In announcing the charges, District Attorney Weintraub said, Grace Packer was a disposable child to these people. Who will now speak for Grace Packer? We will. The details of the case read like a horror story, but what happened to Grace was very much real. The community came together to try and provide Grace with a memorial service. A GoFundMe named Abington Loves Grace Memorial Fund was set up to pay for a memorial service, and it swelled well over the target of $3,500. Since more had been raised than needed, it was announced that the excess funds would be going towards a scholarship for a child with special needs which was something Grace would have wanted. 
Many parents had wanted to shield their children from the gruesome details of the case. While Abington Junior High School principal, Mark Palico, sent a letter to the parents, saying that the district was saddened by the tragedy. He also encouraged parents to be supportive of their children and be open with any questions that they may have. It read in part, Her death is sure to raise many emotions, concerns and questions for our entire community, especially our students. We should expect and try to understand that there will be a variety of emotions and responses to what has occurred. The letter also included some tips from the National Association of School Psychologists in how to speak with children and announced that they would be offering counselling if any child needed it. A community memorial service was also planned for Grace at the New Life Presbyterian Church in Glenside, Pennsylvania on the 16th of January. Grace's biological mother, Rose, would speak to the media and say that she had trusted the system would give her daughter a wonderful home. She said that she hadn't had any interaction with her daughter since 2004, when her parental rights were stripped away, but every now and then she and Rodney received updates about the three children they had lost. The family's lawyer at the time, David Turnetta, had fought for them to keep their three young children. He referred to Rose as a good person who had perhaps lacked the money and skills to care for her children. After Grace and her siblings were removed from their care, the couple had struggled tremendously and were homeless on and off for several years. Rose said, If I could go back in time with the time machine, I would fix my mistakes. I would fix every mistake that I made just so my daughter would be here today. Rose and Rodney would grant an interview to Reading Eagle. I'm a mother. I, I, I will protect my children. And I feel very purple and very, you know, mad at myself for not being able to protect Grace. When she, you know, was in that hot attic dying by herself, she was alone taking her last breath. She was alone, you know, being raped. She was alone, you know, I could imagine, I couldn't even imagine the feelings that that little girl was feeling. I can't, I can't imagine any feeling that that little girl was feeling. Well, from my perspective, you know, as being a biological mother that lost her child, you know, it's hard. I want people to realize that I'm not, you know, the bad parent person that Sarah, or excuse me, Miss Packer, put me out to be. I was young. I was a teenager. You know, I made mistakes as a parent. As details of the murder swept throughout the nation, investigators in several northeast Pennsylvania counties announced that they were looking into whether Sarah and her ex-husband David had fostered any other children and whether these children had also been abused. It was known that David had abused Grace and another foster child, but could there have been more? It would be uncovered that Sarah had fostered a total of 30 children with David before he was arrested for the sexual abuse of Grace and her foster sister. They had lived a transient life in northeast Pennsylvania between 2000 and 2010 when they fostered the children. The fostering only came to a stop when David was arrested. Despite the fact there were accusations that Sarah knew about the sexual abuse and did nothing to stop it, she was still allowed to keep Grace and Grace's brother. Sarah had written in a 2002 application to be an adoption caseworker that she found being a foster mother very rewarding. She said she wanted a career working with children so that she could make a difference in their lives. She wrote, I know that wherever my career takes me, it will be in a position where I can benefit my fellow humans. The State Department of Human Services also announced that they were going to be opening up an investigation. Under the 2009 law, 
known as Act 33, the Department and County Children and Youth Agencies, must conduct an investigation when a child 21 or under dies or nearly dies while a ward of the state, or even just passing through protective services programmes. They had a child death review team, which consists of medical professionals, social workers, coroners, prosecutors, children and youth agencies, nurses and others. The review would need to investigate how and why the child died and whether anything could have been done to prevent the death and whether anything needed to be done to prevent a similar thing happening again. The review would also be looking into the 30 former foster children. Grace was well known to protective services in several counties and some questioned whether an Act 33 review was adequate. Many believed that an independent review was needed. On the 16th of January, Grace's memorial was held and hundreds of people would show up to pay their respects for the tragic teenager. It was led by Reverend Mark Davis, who said that the horrific details of Grace's murder must not be swept under the rug. He said, It is exceedingly painful to learn what has transpired, but it's essential that it be exposed, so that we as a community can consider it and learn from it in the future and better protect the vulnerable among us. A group of Grace's friends from school came to the memorial and recollected some fond memories. Grace had been looking forward to getting her first ever cell phone at the end of ninth grade. Some of them said that Grace sometimes came to school hungry and had confided in them that she didn't think her adoptive mother liked her, let alone loved her. They said that Grace loved giving out hugs and would make sure to help them with their homework when needed. Grace was remembered as a lover of butterflies and full of girly giggles. She loved playing outside with her friends and she was the friend that everybody could depend on. During happier times, Grace got manicures with her friends and she played mini golf. She had also been a massive animal lover, in particular cats, and she never turned on the opportunity to delve into a good book or go to the local swimming pool. The memorial included songs, readings and poems, as well as the reading of an obituary, which read, While she deeply cared for others, her one true wish was to feel like she belonged. At the front of the church set flowers and photographs of Grace alongside a note to a friend from Grace, which read, Bobby, you're an amazing person. Grace always wanted her friends to know how appreciated they were. The organisers of the memorial announced that they were raising money for a foundation that would help foster children in need. It was called On Gracie's Wings, in a nod to Grace's love for butterflies. Following the memorial, the crowd went to the North Penn VFW for a luncheon and discussed the warning signs of child abuse. Afterwards, they released balloons into the sky. They were purple and pink, Grace's favourite colours. Back at Bucks County Prison, Sarah was being held on suicide watch. According to her defence lawyer, Keith Williams, she was devastated by the allegations. He also questioned the credibility of Jacob, stating, It makes very little sense to me that he would claim to be falsely accused in his suicide note, but as soon as he doesn't die, he's confessing to anyone who will listen. The case was a death penalty case, which meant that both Sarah and Jacob were entitled to two defence lawyers, and Sarah's defence lawyer said that they would be having Sarah examined by a mental health expert. The Packer household had been a revolving door of foster children over the years, and there were many who came and went who remembered Grace. There was Jade Tenzanaka, who is now 27 years old. She would tell the Columbus Telegram 
that it was evident that Sarah preferred Grace's brother over her, stating she was more demanding on Gracie to be normal. But Gracie is not normal. Gracie had a learning disability. She recollected how on one occasion Sarah had been watching CSI and casually mentioned that if she were ever to kill somebody, she'd dismember the body and burn it. The other foster daughter that David had sexually abused would also speak with the newspaper. She said that she was moved into a third floor bedroom, which was close to the one that David shared with Sarah. At night, she would be tied to a bedpost, and then in the morning tied to a chair and gagged by David. He forced her to wear revealing clothing and forced her to diet. All while this was going on, David was sexually abusing her, and she felt as though there was nowhere to turn. She revealed to the newspaper that she had attempted suicide on two occasions and was hospitalised. The foster daughter said that she had no idea that Grace was also being abused by David, and said that Sarah must have known what was going on. She lived in the house with them after all, and she was an experienced adoption caseworker with a psychology degree. It seems highly unlikely that she had no idea that her husband was sexually abusing two children in their own home. After David was arrested, Grace really shouldn't have been returned to the home where she was sexually abused. But Sarah most likely got a rubber stamp vetting because of her experience with adoption services. Even if it were to be believed that Sarah had no idea what was going on inside her own home, she had failed to provide a safe environment for Grace and the other foster daughter. Grace wasn't only failed by those entrusted to care for her, but she was failed by the system as well. The now-grown foster daughter said that she had seen Sarah treat Grace horribly, stating, Some parts of Grace's body didn't work like ours, and you'd have to tell her more than a few times to do things. And Sarah didn't like that. She yelled, she screamed, she hit her, she was just a big bully to her. Many of the foster children of Sarah said that Grace was often beaten and locked in her bedroom. She would come home from school happy, but as soon as she entered the front door, that smile would be wiped from her face. Jenny Heath Moyer, who knew Sarah through church, said that it was apparent that Sarah doted on her adopted son, but despised Grace. On one occasion, she even told her that she sometimes slipped Grace a sleeping tablet. Before the end of February, Jacob would waive his right to a preliminary hearing, which meant that they would be proceeding straight to trial. Meanwhile, Sarah was charged with stealing government checks. The charges were in relation to the government benefits she continued to collect that were meant to go towards Grace's care. They were being collected after Grace had been killed. The charges included felony counts of theft by failure to make required disposition of funds received, tampering with public records or information, misdemeanor misapplication of entrusted property, and property of government or financial institutions. Between July and November, Sarah had received a total of $3,560 in social security payments, as well as $837 in adoption subsidies from Berks County. A month after Grace was killed, Sarah had filled in social security administration forms so that the money would keep coming, even writing in one form that Grace needed constant supervision, was argumentative, sexually inappropriate, manipulative, and complained that she stole and lied. She wrote, Grace is impulsive and makes dangerous decisions. She sexually acts out with peers, younger children, and older men. She had then faked Grace's signature. Early the next month, allegations would be made that the Impact Project, where Sarah had worked between 1999 and 2002, had been informed about Sarah 
possibly exhibiting abusive behaviours while she was acting as a foster parent. The Impact Project never reported this information to the county. As it transpired, there have been two other foster children to report abuse from Sarah and David. One of them was Jessica Law, who had been placed with the Packers when she was 16 years old. She informed the Impact Project that Grace, who was only four years old at the time, was forced to pick up dog feces and that her younger brother once grabbed a kitchen knife when he was left unattended. She also said that David was overly affectionate with the girls. After reporting the concerns, nobody ever followed up with Jessica, and just a few days later, she was sent to live with a family in Montgomery County. The Impact Project failed to act on these reports, leaving Sarah and David to abuse their children in their home with impunity. After this was made public, Lehigh County announced that they would be suspending taking referrals from the Impact Project. There's nothing more exciting than a classic whodunit. Well, this week's episode is sponsored by the amazing game June's Journey. It's a free-to-download mobile game, and you've got to find objects hidden within beautiful and carefully crafted scenes. June's Journey is set in the 1920s, and there's a real glamorous feel to it. You play the game as an amateur detective who's investigating a number of mysteries. Each scene sees you involved in a murder mystery and you get to meet some cool characters along the way. Characters that provide tips and leads. What I love especially about this game is that it's super relaxing and therapeutic, but at the same time it truly tests your observations and keeps your mind fresh. It really puts your powers of observation to the test. I find myself playing this game late at night before I head to bed. Ready to awaken your inner detective? We'll download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Is there something interfering with your happiness or are you apprehensive about reaching out for help? BetterHelp is here to help you and their today's sponsor of Morbidology. BetterHelp is not self-help, It's professional counselling, available to you online or over the phone. BetterHelp is more affordable and accessible than traditional offline counselling, and they offer financial aid. Sadly, sometimes traditional offline counselling is not locally available for everybody, but BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. They have licensed professional counsellors specialising in a broad variety of areas, including depression, sleeping, self-esteem, grief, and much more. Everything you share with your counsellor is confidential and they are matched to your specific needs. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com morbidology. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash morbidology. There'd be another disturbing revelation shortly thereafter, when it was revealed that in 2008, a formal child abuse complaint had been lodged with the state that David was hurting Grace. According to the report, another foster child, Carmen Harris, had made the allegation that David had beaten Grace with a foot-long orange strap. She also said that she had seen Sarah and David beat Grace when she did not follow their commands. Even more horrific, Grace herself told school officials in 2008 that she was being beaten at home. 
However, the Lehigh County Office of Children and Youth Services determined that the allegations were unfounded. The case was moving quite rapidly through the justice system, and prosecutors announced that they still hadn't decided whether they would be seeking the death penalty. Aggravated circumstances did exist to seek the death penalty, because Grace had been kidnapped and tortured before she was killed. Both Sarah and Jacob would plead not guilty to the charges, and shortly thereafter it was announced that prosecutors would be seeking the death penalty against both of them if convicted. In early August, Rose and Rodney, Grace's biological parents, said through their attorneys that they were wanting to become administrators of Grace's estate so that they could sue the social service agencies that placed Grace with Sarah. This was then challenged by Warren and Evelyn Packer, Grace's adoptive grandparents and the parents of David. In their response, they said that they questioned Rose and Rodney's interest in Grace's estate. But Rose and Rodney hit back, saying that they believed that Grace's adoptive grandparents knew that she was being physically and verbally abused at home, yet did nothing to help her. According to Warren and Evelyn, on the few times they did see David and Sarah abuse Grace, they intervened. As the biological and adoptive families were battling it out in court, a trial date would be set for September of 2018. Prosecutors wanted Sarah and Jacob to be tried together during one trial, but they would ultimately withdraw their request, which meant that absent of a change of plea to guilty, there were going to be two murder trials. Jacob's defence team would try and get his confession thrown out of evidence, and some details about this confession would finally be publicised. When Jacob had confessed, he stated to one of the nurses, I don't know why they're coming down hard on Sarah. I killed her. Gracie was a nightmare. He also said during his confession that he and Sarah didn't want to care for Grace anymore and had considered giving up custody, but then they decided they would keep her for the money. While Sarah and Jacob had been planning on raping and murdering Grace for quite some time, Jacob said during his confession that he didn't want the murder to be what he described as a terror show for Grace. He admitted that he had been sexually abusing Grace for a couple of days before the murder. He chillingly stated, I wanted to make sure she had some fun, before adding, it wasn't really just to be mean. Obviously, it was mean, but it was just a kind of weird fantasy type of thing. He said that he had punched Grace in the face before raping her, because it was just a weird fantasy thing. And after the sexual assault had taken place, Grace was crying and scared, and he tried to calm her down. Jacob then described the dismemberment of Grace like wrestling a 20-size bigger turkey. Jacob went on to say to investigators, I would rather die than have had this happen to me. It was no fun. We didn't enjoy it. It was all stress and trauma. Before describing his life after the murder as being akin to an immersive experience in a video game. He then expressed his desire to be placed in protective custody in jail as opposed to in general population telling the investigators that the only reason he'd cooperated was under the hopes that they would accept this request, ironically stating, I just don't want to be murdered in jail. The defence team had wanted this confession thrown out, and as a decision was still underway, it was decided by the court that neither Grace's biological parents or her adopted grandparents should have control over her estate. This meant that a court-appointed administrator would handle Grace's estate. The two murder trials were then pushed back until 2019, and in January of that year, Jacob's defence lawyers would reveal that they planned on arguing that Sarah had been the mastermind behind the murder. Defence Jack Fagan told the judge 
the Tsar's relationship with Grace was contentious at best. It was clear that Jacob had now turned on Sarah in a bid to save his own skin. However, the following month, Jacob appeared in court where he pleaded guilty to the rape, murder and dismemberment of Grace. As he was in the process of formalising his plea, the proceeding was stopped when he began to complain about a headache and a spike in his blood pressure. An ambulance needed to be called. He would return to court a couple of days later to complete his guilty plea. Prosecutors revealed during the hearing that Sarah had been cooperating with them and was planning on pleading guilty as part of a plea agreement to avoid the death penalty. But first, it would be time for the sentencing phase for Jacob. It would be up to the jury to determine his fate, life in prison or a death sentence. The prosecution would be gunning hard for a death sentence. During the opening statements, District Attorney Weintraub said that Sarah and Jacob had decided together that Grace was not worth the air she breathed. He asked, What is the worst thing you can think of to do to a child? Because in this courtroom, we are going to check all those boxes. Jacob's defence team would desperately try to save their client's life by alleging that he had been dominated by Sarah, who they contended had a history of sexually abusing children. Defence Jack Fagan said that Jacob should get the same sentence as Sarah, a life sentence without the possibility of parole. He said, Sarah Packer was the driving force in the intent, the planning and the execution of what happened to her daughter. The details of the case were read aloud for the jury and a handful of people testified. Detective Cindy Patinato, who had investigated Grace's disappearance, told the jury how Sarah seemed totally unconcerned that her daughter was missing and that she quickly disposed of her daughter's belongings. She told the jury that after Sarah had moved house and not informed anybody, she left her a voicemail demanding to know why she was dodging her calls and how would her daughter find her if she returned home and they had moved. When Detective Petanato finally caught up with Sarah at her new home, she noticed that there was no bedroom made up for Grace, just her younger brother. There were family photographs dotted throughout the home, but there was not one single photograph of Grace. Unbeknownst to Detective Petanato, as she spoke with Sarah downstairs, Grace was dead in the attic. It was this meeting that spooked the couple into dismembering Grace's body and disposing of her. Graphic photographs showing Grace's dismembered body parts were shown on a large screen, as Cody Blakesley, one of the hunters who had found her body, testified. There had been a warning before the photographs were displayed. Other photographs displayed included the attic closet, where Grace was left to die. There was a clump of hair and a broken piece of zip tie only a small indication of the horrors that had been inflicted on Grace. Afterwards, Elisa Kehoe would testify. Elisa was a nurse at Abington Memorial Hospital. She had been assigned to watch over Jacob following his suicide attempt. She said that Jacob suddenly started talking to her about the murder of Grace, telling the jury, He told me that he killed Grace. He told me that he liked it. Jacob then went on to say to the nurse that Grace was the worst thing that ever happened to their family, and told her to go and look in the attic of their home. More details of Jacob's confession would be revealed during the sentencing phase, and they were extremely chilling. Jacob had said that as the attack was unfolding, Sarah watched. Grace looked towards Sarah and pleaded for help. Jacob said she wanted Grace to say that she wasn't going to save her. She got off on that. I did too, to tell you the truth. He recollected that Grace had fought for her life. 
She was zip-tied, but she had fought against the chokehold that she was placed into by Jacob. He told investigators that he said to Grace as he choked her, Just go, honey. Just go. It's okay, honey. It's time to go. He chuckled as he described how long it took for Grace to die, and said that him raping somebody was a lifetime fantasy he had had, and one which Sarah had wanted him to act out on Grace, allegedly because she was rebellious. He said, she was really mad at Grace. It was a, I can finally control you type of thing. Jacob called Grace a maelstrom and said that he and Sarah had decided that killing her as part of their shared fantasy would bring peace to their home, which consisted of the two of them, Grace's younger brother and Catherine, their polyamorous partner. He contended that Catherine had no knowledge of the murder. As part of Sarah's plea agreement, she needed to testify at Jacob's sentencing hearing. She essentially admitted to everything that Jacob had said in his confession. She admitted to helping carry out the plot, and even that she had told Grace, I can't help you anymore, this is your life now, before she was killed. She said that she didn't even want to help Grace. In a true testament to how depraved she was, she told the jury, Grace had become, for lack of a better word, a non-entity. She just didn't exist anymore. I wanted her to go away. She claimed that Grace had a discipline problem and was a very difficult child. A child that she hated and a child that she wanted dead. She admitted that she had helped bind Grace and stuffed a ball gag into her mouth. District Attorney Weintraub bellowed to Sarah. Is it fair to say you're an utter and miserable failure at being a worthwhile human being? Jacob's defence team would bill Sarah as the mastermind, but Sarah told the courtroom that it had been Jacob's idea to rape Grace. She said, I got wrapped up in Jake's fantasy. I didn't think I could tell him no without losing him. She revealed that their initial plan wasn't to kill Grace, but instead to keep her locked in the attic for years so that Jacob could rape her whenever he wanted. But then reality set in of what they had done, and they decided there was no going back. She added, so he decided that it was time for Grace to die. The defence would call on several of Jacob's relatives. They spoke about his life in Wisconsin, where he had been born, and then San Francisco, where he lived as a teenager. They revealed that his mother was an alcoholic who moved him to Pennsylvania with his stepfather, where he was forced to become a Jehovah's Witness. His father, Charles Reinser, said, I'm here because I love him. I still can't believe it. Jake was always gentle and loving. They also called on a psychologist who said that it was his opinion that Jacob had been substantially dominated by Sarah. Under cross-examination, however, he admitted he had no way of knowing whether Jacob was lying during their interviews so that he came off in a favourable light to Sarah. The psychologist also claimed that Jacob had been sexually abused as a child by a man and woman acting together, but no family member who testified mentioned this. A number of relatives would testify about the impact Grace's murder had on them. It was a very poignant moment because everything the jury had heard up until this moment had been pure hatred from Jacob and Sarah. It showed that there were people out there who had cared for Grace and who had loved her. David's cousin Carrie said, It sickens me to know that Grace was abused, tortured and literally thrown away like she was a piece of trash. Grace is in a better place now free from evil and pain. Photographs of Grace from happier times were also displayed in the courtroom. There were photographs of her sitting in a cab of her uncle's big ring, playing in the sand on the beach, 
at a pool party and eating birthday cake. Ironically, none of the photographs showed any time that Grace was with Sarah. All of her photographs were taken from when she was with other relatives. There would also be a statement from Grace's younger brother, who is now 14 years old himself. He said that the only way he could bear the loss of his sister was if adults knew her story and then acted to prevent child abuse. He said that if Grace knew that she could save other children by giving her own life, she would have asked, what do I have to do? He described his sister as a hero and ended his statement with, watch out for all the kids so that a loss like Grace's loss never happens again. Do your best to help kids who can't help themselves. It would now be up to the jury to determine Jacob's fate. They needed to make a unanimous decision to impose the death penalty. Otherwise, Jacob would be sentenced to life in prison without parole. Jacob Sullivan would ultimately receive a death sentence. As the verdict was read aloud, he showed no emotion. As Judge Diane Gibbons imposed the sentence, she said to Jacob, You have no soul. It's out of court, District Attorney Weintraub spoke to ABC Philadelphia. Candidly, I'm sure I'm anticipating what you're all going to ask me. What do I think of the sentence? He got what he deserved, plain and simple. The following day, Sarah Packer would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Judge Diane Gibbons would address her, stating, Evil attracts evil. Evil recognises evil. And in Jacob Sullivan, you find one of your own. You like rape. You like murder. That is a fact. Neither Jacob nor Sarah ever made a statement during their sentencing phases. They never apologised for what they had done to Grace. A state report would be released after the sentences were handed down, which suggested changes to child welfare agencies. Changes which could have ultimately saved Grace's life if they had have been implemented earlier. The report found that numerous red flags had been raised about Grace's safety. It described a badly frayed social safety net where information had not been shared among jurisdictions and that the services provided to Grace were not effective. With the duo behind bars, the case should have ended there, at least until the day that Jacob was strapped to a gurney and pumped with the drugs to end his life. However, on the 30th of April 2020, Jacob died from a ruptured aortic aneurysm behind bars. He was 47 years old and had just spent one year on death row. District Attorney Weintraub would state, He plainly got what he deserved, just a lot sooner than we expected. It certainly means that there is one less torturous appeal process we and Grace's family will have to endure. And for that, we're grateful. Then in September of 2021, Grace's law was unveiled. It included three pieces of legislation which would push for more accountability and protection in the foster care system. The legislation included House Bill 1845, which would define a valid report in the state's Child Protective Services Law, House Bill 1843, which would implement a statewide child welfare case management system by the end of 2022, House Bill 1844, which would change the requirement to retain case records from one year or 10 years to 30 years. The foster care system had truly failed Grace, and she should have been removed from Sarah's custody as soon as David was investigated. The purpose of Grace's law is to hopefully prevent what happened to Grace ever happening to another child. It was a cold Halloween night when Grace Packer's dismembered body was found in a lonely forest. Grace had suffered a slow and agonising death 
But long before this moment, she had been the victim of repeated neglect and abuse. When David Packer was sent to prison for the sexual abuse, it should have been a moment of jubilation for Grace. But the abuser was simply just replaced by another abuser, Jacob Sullivan. Instead of being a member of a loving family like she deserved, Grace was seen as nothing more than a means of a sick and sadistic fantasy. A fantasy shared between two disgusting individuals. Well, besties, that is it for this episode of Morbidology. As always, a massive thank you for listening. I'd also like to say a big thank you to my amazing new Patreon supporters, Louise, Lorraine, Alex and Cable. Support on Patreon seriously goes such a long way. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon, the link is in the show notes. When you join, I send out a handwritten thank you card, as well as some exclusive merch. You also get ad-free and early release episodes and bonus episodes of Morbidology Plus. These episodes aren't on the regular podcast platforms and are exclusive to Patreon. If you didn't know yet, I'm going to return to CrimeCon in London in June of 2022. Last year was absolutely amazing. If you'd like to join me, hang out, have a beer and chat all things true crime, make sure to go and buy a ticket. Use my code WINDOW as in my other podcast, The Shattered Window, or Morbid, to get 10% off your ticket. Also remember to check us out at morbidology.com for more information about this episode and to read our true crime articles. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and have an amazing week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.